Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for the time of worship through song that we've had together. I thank you for uh, for Linda and John being willing to help and able to help. And Lord, I ask tonight that you would be with us as we open your word, as we set up this great book of Jonah. Lord, I pray that our minds would be enabled by your spirit to focus. I pray, Father, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to receive grace and mercy and peace and truth from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his word. Would you please be with me as I speak, that I may speak for your name and not my own. And this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. If you'd like, you can open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Grace, mercy, and peace to all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight will be a little bit different. I, 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 I want to set this book up for us if I can. For the next six to eight weeks, we're going to walk through this book of Jonah. Jonah is unique among the minor prophets, the twelve as they're called. And so I thought because of that, it, it might make a little bit of sense for us to take one evening just to introduce the book to you. And, and I don't say that because I think you're unfamiliar with it or something. I think that Jonah is extremely unique. It's place in Scripture. It's place in the prophets. There are some big themes here. The context in which Jonah was written is worth clarifying before we really dig into the heart of the text itself. Uh, Jonah is not a book about a big fish. It's not what the purpose of this book is. Jonah is a book about a very big God that for some reason loves and pursues and saves his enemies. It's a book about the mission of this God, the mercy of this God. It's a picture for us of the heart of a God who would one day send his only son to rescue sinners from every tribe and language and people and nation. So I'm praying as we go through it that God would reveal himself to us in this book and move us in our hearts towards Moundsville, maybe the Ohio Valley, the whole panhandle, and then on to the nations that the Lamb of God may receive the reward of his sufferings. But we cannot preach Jonah if we don't start in the book of Acts, interestingly enough. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to reference a text that I read very quickly this morning. But listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. When he was in Caesarea, as the gospel of the kingdom was first beginning to spread, Peter had been called there by God from Joppa. Uh, In the days before Jesus, Jonah the prophet sailed out of Joppa to flee to Tarshish away from God and his desire to show mercy to the Gentiles. So it's no coincidence that at the beginning of the spread of the gospel of the kingdom, Peter the apostle left the very same city of Joppa in Acts chapter 10 to bring the good news of God's mercy to the Gentiles. The text says this, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, think about that statement. Every prophet that ever was, they testified, they bore witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, again, you can't cite an Old Testament prophet saying that. So in some way, what these men have, remember, these are the men that were enabled by 
Jesus to understand the scriptures. That is their understanding now that Jesus has opened their eyes. They believe, they can see now that every single prophet, even though they didn't use that sentence, they didn't say those words, their purpose was to bear witness to Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Jonah, the son of Amittai, was a prophet. And that means Jonah, the son of Amittai, is in the Bible to bear witness to the fact that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Again, even though Jonah never says that directly or ever mentions Jesus' name, that's what the word tells us the purpose of Jonah was, or that Jonah was doing when he spoke this book. So my goal in preaching Jonah is to submit to the Bible's decree about what prophets do, what their function is as it's been revealed by Jesus to bear witness to him and the salvation that comes only through him for everyone, even you and I. And this book testifies to Jesus in amazing ways. So let's, we're just going to read the first three verses tonight just to get our minds acclimated again to this story that probably most of us, if not all of us, know. He says, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. As I said, Jonah is completely unique among the prophets. Instead of providing a collection like normal of oracles or prophecies like all the other ones, the book of Jonah narrates a story about the prophet himself. A story that makes a massive point about how God's mercy is actually meant for the whole world. So Jonah was a prophet that spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel before it was destroyed in 723 B.C. by the Assyrians, an empire of which Nineveh was the capital. These things happened before Israel was exiled to Babylon. Jonah is actually mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25 as a very successful prophet. Technically speaking, he was a known prophet. Uh, the son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer, it says, which is north-central Israel. It's halfway between Bethlehem and the Sea of Galilee. It's about three miles from uh, northeast of Nazareth. He had pronounced good news for Israel. That's what Jonah had done. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II that God would restore the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. And that's precisely what God did, just as Jonah said, even though the time in which Jonah prophesied was a time of rampant wickedness and idolatry in Israel's history. This was during the 8th century. It's what's covered in 2 Kings 14 through 17. So the events in the book of Jonah, this is very important. The events in the book of Jonah happened at a time when God was showing mercy to Israel, even though they were disobeying him, even though they were filled with disobedience. That should have created in this nation, a sense of awe and a sense of wonder before God and thankfulness that led them to repent for their evil ways, but it didn't. That's so important for understanding the purpose of the book for Israel and then the purpose today for us. We don't know precisely when Jonah the book was written. We don't even know ultimately actually who wrote it, although it seems that Jonah did. There are details there that would seem only he would know unless God granted somebody to know it, which he could have done. But it would seem like it comes from him that later, you know, he came to his senses. 
you know, repented of what he had done and wrote the book with clarity. One of the main things to understand, though, as we start with this book is not really about who wrote it, but about the book itself. There's debate about whether or not Jonah should be taken literally nowadays. All the things in it are a little too fantastical. So modern scholarship, some modern scholarship says, you know, that Jonah was actually a parable with very artsy details that is just meant to teach us a couple lessons. And I believe that Jonah in the word of God is actual, genuine history. And I want to give you five quick reasons why it makes sense to believe that. Number one, Jonah was a real historical figure. He was a real prophet, yet he's portrayed here as a flawed character. Now, we have to understand, if Jonah was fiction when it was written, it's guilty of slander about a real person in Israel who was one of God's prophets. He's presented positively in other parts of Scripture as a successful prophet. It would not have been received by anyone if it was slander about one of God's prophets. Number two, Jonah is part of a collection. He's part of the 12 minor prophets. All the other books in that collection give us prophecies by genuine historical prophets. So when the compiler of the 12 put Jonah in with the other 11, he's signaling that he believes Jonah is as historically reliable and trustworthy as the other 11 prophets. Thirdly, the miracles and the amazing things happening in Jonah are not impossible for the God of this book, right? If we believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if we believe the first sentence of the Bible, we don't have any problems believing what we see in Jonah. Fourthly and most importantly, our Lord Jesus in Matthew 12 and Luke 11 spoke of Jonah in the fish and his preaching to Nineveh as real, actual events. He says that the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment and condemn the unbelieving generation of Jesus precisely because Jonah had actually preached to those people and they had actually repented. And lastly, for what it's worth, any of the historical difficulties in Jonah, like the size of the city of Nineveh, the way he describes those kinds of things can be explained very well when we have some other details. And so I just want you to know that I'm going to approach the book of Jonah as though it's actual, genuine history with the authority of God's inspiration and, and preach it that way as it happened. And what we learn here is, is no simple parable. That's not what the function of Jonah is in the Bible. He was a real prophet. Nineveh was a real place. There were real sailors. There was a real storm. There was a real fish. And there was real mercy from a God who is really on mission to save his enemies. As I mentioned, Jonah is one of the minor prophets, which they're called minor for their length, by the way, not for their content. Like they're less important. It's just they're much shorter than, than uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. He's one of the 12, the last 12 books in the Old Testament. And there is a theme. There is a flow of thought to those 12 prophets. Uh, the, the 12 in our Bible, they present this idea that Hosea, I should say, the first of the twelve in the Bible presents this idea that God has a case against Israel. He has a case against his own people. You can see that play out in each book up to Jonah. And so by the time you get to Obadiah, which is the book right before Jonah, it's revealed that pride and hatred have no place in God's coming kingdom, which is why Edom is going to be destroyed. That's what we read right before we read Jonah. But then Jonah comes along next as a warning to Israel that their own pride and hatred of others resembles Edom. 
and stands in direct contrast to the mercy that God gives to whomever God wills. So the pronouncement that the book of Jonah made to Israel was, don't be like Jonah. Be like God. Be like Yahweh and extend compassion rather than gloating in others' destruction or God's judgment is going to fall on you. That's how they should have been receiving the book of Jonah. The twelve are not in chronological order. They were originally all contained in one scroll, so whoever put them together wanted them to be read as a whole based on what he wanted to communicate, not in order as they happen. But interestingly enough, chronologically speaking, Jonah is the first of those minor prophets. He kicks off the message to Israel through God's prophets that Yahweh is committed to Israel through the covenant that he made with them. Every prophet affirms God's love for Israel even though their sin is horrific, and yet he remains committed to them because of the covenant. The prophets were desperate to make Israel stop what they were doing and reflect on God's character. They emphasize a future day of judgment for the wicked, of a future day of salvation for the righteous, and they announce the coming of a new David who's going to bring God's kingdom with him. Jonah kicks all that off with the events recorded in this book. That helps us understand the tone The purpose of Jonah as we study it, that God is announcing something big through this little book. Something big primarily about himself and who he is, but also about Israel and who they were. And it may very well be the reason that Jonah does not give dates or isn't extremely specific and doesn't contain oracles and all these things that can specifically be related to Israel is because uniquely... The message of Jonah is timeless, beloved. That God's people are always in danger of sinning like Jonah did. Even those in covenant with God who forget who God really is. We are always very thankful and very hopeful that God will be merciful to us. But we don't always want God to be merciful to people we don't like. And we don't always want him to be merciful to people or groups that we're angry with or that we wish weren't there. Enemies, if you will. And it turns out that the holy God, the one who actually is holy, that has the right to discriminate and does not, he's relentlessly committed to the salvation of sinners from every single nation. And if we don't realize that, about who our God is. We're worshiping a God we've made up in our own minds that we like. We're not worshiping the God who is. And that's dangerous. Jonah is put forward as a representative of the whole nation of Israel on purpose. We're we're told very little about the man and a story about him. We're told very little about the prophetic office, which was unique to Israel. And the whole story is played out on the stage of the world. There are Gentile sailors. There's one Israelite in the whole book. It's Jonah. There are Gentiles, sailors. There's the the city of Nineveh. Jonah embodies there. Remember, at the start of this message from God through the prophets, he embodies Israel's heart and Israel's attitude at that time in their history. That gives him his unique place among these 12. As the individual representative of the Lord, he represents the whole nation that was called to be God's servant. And God intended To say something to the Israelites about their relationship with the Gentiles and about their relationship with God. So Jonah is not just a rebuke to the prophet, but to the nation of Israel as a whole. And and we really, 
<clears throat> we, we want to have in our minds some clarity about what Nineveh actually was before we get too romantic about it. Nineveh was a pagan, brutal city and culture. They really were. They were destroyed by a flood in the Babylonians in about 612 B.C. Nineveh was basically ash by the 1800s A.D. But Nineveh, this, this horrible city, is going to become a representative of the whole Gentile world where God is going to show his sovereignty and his mercy. Again, it was an awful place. I mean, their, their art, the art of these people, emphasizes war. It has scenes of execution and impalement and flaying and beheading. They, they were just horrible people. But Jonah is a beautifully written little work of literature about this whole thing. It's use of structure and irony and poetry and rhetoric. It's, it's, it's written very well. It has depth and meaning. But for us, as we read it, removed from this context, in light of where we are now in history and in light of what Jesus has done and the mission he has called us to, what we want to be getting from Jonah we want to get a sense of the attitude of those inside the covenant community at that time towards those who were outside the covenant community at that time. And in light of what Jesus has done, pray that we don't have the same attitude and we don't have the same mindset. The climax of Jonah is going to come when Jonah finally reveals why it is, because he tells us why it is that he fled and did not want to go to Nineveh. That is going to put Jonah on a platter for us to see God's purpose in it. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure most of you know that, but, but when he actually says to God why he didn't want to go, and the fact that the way Jonah is structured is that you don't find that out right away. You know, you would think that, that it would tell you instantly why Jonah didn't want to go. The author didn't write it that way. He tells you at the very end, and it should come like shock to us that that's, he really said that? Jonah actually said this? So, as a prophet in Israel, he should be the height of spirituality. He should be the height of commitment to God. Again, he's the only Israelite in the whole book. We'll find that Jonah was massively out of touch with God, even as God's prophet, which meant Israel as a whole was. The nation, even in light of God's covenant love to them, didn't understand who God was. They weren't realizing the depths of his mercy for them. They were not close to or familiar with God's heart, God's ultimate purpose. They were self-centered at this time and unmerciful and unloving in spite of God's immeasurable mercy and patience towards them. That's important for us to remember. God's, God wasn't just sending his prophet to any Gentile nation, which was, again, very strange for the Old Testament era to begin with. He was sending his prophet to a horribly vicious and cruel nation. An imperial power, literally, that threatened his homeland on a daily basis. So the story will start out with Jonah's flight away from God and his flight away from God's will. And we are going to learn in the book something about whether or not you can actually run from God. That is a part of Jonah. But the most important thing we can learn from Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah teaches us something profound and beautiful about our God, about the God of the universe, not just Israel. Notice that Jonah tries to escape God all throughout the book. That's what's happening the whole time. And God keeps appointing things 
as the Bible says, all these things to stop him so that regardless of how Jonah feels, God's will for Nineveh will get done, will get accomplished. What does that tell us about God? Why is he so relentless? What does that tell us about God's control over the world and God's desire for the world and the way that the reasons that God might be doing things? God is not just merciful. God is missional. God is a missionary. He's relentless and deliberate about pursuing sinners. He's committed to his desire to save people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. It's what God has wanted to do since the beginning. God's concern for righteousness was not limited to his people in Israel. He's always been concerned about every creature made in his image throughout the whole world. What Jonah does in the Old Testament is causes us to look back and to remember God's promise to Abraham. The ultimate promise from the Old Testament that should be shaping who God is in our minds. Remember, the covenant with Israel at Sinai through Moses was brought in over 400 years later than the Abrahamic covenant to make certain things clear. Not to override or to forget or to supersede the covenant with Abraham. God's eternal purpose for mankind has always been to bless all the nations of the earth, not just Israel. But ironically, ironically, precisely because of God's mercy to them, Israel could not see that. They had become closed in on themselves. And they hated their neighboring enemies so much that they couldn't conceive of God being merciful to them, no matter how wicked they were. You find out in the book of Judges that Israel was as wicked as their pagan enemies. That's what the book of Judges is showing, is that God's people have gone that far away from the covenant that he made with them. It, the book ends horribly. Remember how Judges ends? It's just horrible what was happening in Israel during the time of the Judges. But God puts Jonah forward to teach us an eternal lesson about his mission and his mercy. And he does it completely against Jonah's will. And that conflict will remain unresolved at the end of the book anyway. Jonah becomes a source of blessing to Gentiles, even though he didn't want to. Providing, if you will, a glimpse of of the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Jonah is there to remind us that God, that Yahweh is good. He longs to save and his salvation will extend to the ends of the earth. And as a means of or overshadowing him accomplishing all that, God makes his sovereign rule over everything, his ability to work everything to contribute to that goal, painfully clear to the prophet Jonah. His sovereign authority over the earth results in salvation for the nations. God is moving things and involved with absolute control over the earth so that he might save sinners. Notice, notice the first thing that Jesus does when he says that he's been granted all power and authority on the earth and in heaven. It's his. What's the first command that he gives with absolute authority Go and make disciples of all nations. That's the heartbeat of God. And Jonah is prefiguring that. And what Jonah will teach us very clearly is that if we separate in our minds 
the, the missionary character of God from our viewer definition of his character, if we forget that about him, that he's relentlessly committed to pursuing and saving sinners, that's Jesus in Luke 15. If we forget that, or if we leave that part out of who he is, we're not realizing God as he is. This is, this is fundamental to his nature as he's revealed it to us, that he's a God on mission. The book of Jonah shows, in fact, that God is going to be a missionary, even if nobody else is going to be. It's an amazing book. Jonah reveals that God's plan of salvation has always, ultimately, been global in what it wanted to accomplish, even though he did start, absolutely, among the people of Israel. But the first thing God does after Adam and Eve fall is he provides skins for them, doesn't he? To cover themselves in Genesis 3. At the, at the instant man fell, the, the fact that the Bible continues, or that history continued after Genesis 3, is all about mercy. It's it said if you eat the fruit, you die. They didn't die. Eventually they did, but you would think the Bible would end and there would be nothing. But it doesn't because God moves in instantly to show mercy, to show his commitment to redemption. He went to work the minute man fell to save us. And that was his design from before mankind fell. So even though Jonah is different and it's not written like the other prophets, it really does fit right into the overall narrative of Scripture. Again, Genesis 3 reveals that the seed of the woman will one day bring about the end of the serpent and his seed. Well, the question should be raised in us as we're reading, well, how will that be accomplished, right? The Bible starts out with a massive problem for the God who is king over all the earth. How is he going to reclaim his rule, so to speak, over the world through faulty human beings? How is he going to do this through sinful people? But as scripture unfolds, what becomes clear is God's kingdom will not come through the work of human beings. It will not be accomplished unilaterally by people. Victory is going to be the work of God. Salvation for sinners is going to be the work of God so that he will receive all glory and honor and praise. The natural bent of humanity is away from God, not towards him. Our natural instinct is to rebel. We know this every time we try to change a baby's diaper. You ever try to hold a baby still to change it? They, they, don't, they don't want to be ruled. And they're just little invaders of your home. That, that, that's what they do. They, but if you, if you try, or try to put a coat on a toddler, I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's not impossible. I mean, you're stronger. But if you don't want to break this little person's bones, you've got to figure out a way to get their coat on without wrestling to the ground. But we're, it's, it's built into us. It's just it's who we are. Our natural bent is away from being ruled, especially ruled by God. But God had promised, he's promised, even though our tendency is to rebel against him, to set up our own kingdoms, he's promised that he would preserve the world until he brings in full redemption. And he promises to reclaim the world through one man, all nations, Abraham's offspring, Jesus Christ. So Jonah comes along. And reveals to us in the midst of God's covenant with Israel that his compassion extends beyond its borders. That was not a message Israel wanted to hear at the time. It was certainly not the message Jonah wanted to hear. And if we're not careful, we can start to think the same way. 
because it's so much easier to recognize the wickedness outside of ourselves than it is the wickedness inside of ourselves. So Jonah is teaching us all about these things. The scriptures reveal to us that God was one day going to send his son to be the single vehicle of his indiscriminate compassion to every nation and tribe and language and people. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what he does. He is the shepherd of all the sheep. It has been God's eternal purpose that there will one day be one flock, one shepherd. And the book of Jonah is insight into the mind of God about that day that would come. It gives us a glimpse of what God is headed towards in history. That there is no nation, no people, no religious group, no culture beyond the reach of the one true God's compassion and mercy and grace and love. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. Nobody. Nobody. And we're a people created to make sure the world knows that. That's our task. That's our function. This is the gospel according to Jonah. And we are here in this time and in this place, according to the book of Acts, we are all here in Moundsville to make sure Moundsville knows that. That's why we're here. That's why Moundsville Baptist Church exists. We live in the days of the true and the greater Jonah, right? The ultimate, relentless missionary who said to the world on purpose, someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone unlike Jonah is here. There's mercy flowing like a waterfall out of heaven all the time for all who come by grace through faith to drink from the everlasting fountain that is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel Jonah is pointing us to in the midst of his disobedience. God is an amazing God. This is the gospel God reveals is coming in the book of Jonah, and it is indescribably beautiful, but we will try to describe it nonetheless. Jonah's clear, even at a glance, that even again in the midst of the covenant with Israel, there was something deeper going on, that God is demonstrating mercy to those outside of Israel, but why? I will find that out as we read. And the reason this message will find its ultimate fulfillment in the person and in the work of Jesus. Jonah prefigures that biblical goal that the kingdom of God will ultimately include both Jews and Gentiles. That through the gospel, through the spread of the gospel, the glory of God will in fact cover the earth like the waters cover the sea when the one who is greater than Jonah and his gospel spread through his church to every corner of the globe. Beloved, it is no small thing that Jesus said in the book of Matthew. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you hear the mercy of God, of your God and mine in a statement like that? I will let the whole world know before I return. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That's his bent. That's his heart. And if that's his heart, beloved, how can it not be ours? We have no business 
being welcome to sit at the feet of Jesus. And he's invited us to come. He forgives us of our sins. He loves us. He's committed to us. He's faithful to us. We live in the world that, come, that, that, that came after Jesus accomplished this work for the world. We live in that time period. We live after it. We swim in the ocean of God's grace that was poured out of the cross every single day. Every single day, we're just swimming in grace. There's just Jonah becomes profoundly personal, or it needs to become, if I can say that, profoundly personal for us. We, we, once we begin to realize that, that we, we don't deserve anything we have, the only thing God owes us is justice. The only thing God owes us is condemnation for our sinfulness and our rebellion. And we breathe and we eat and we sleep and we have family and friends and vacations and beautiful things and wonderful things and we should have none of it. We should have none of it. And beloved, that's not just for us to believe in. It's to affect our outlook on the whole world, the people we live with and work with, that we withhold mercy from all the time, so fast for the smallest things. I cut off a guy today by accident. <laughs> Pulling on to, to, to when you get off at 26th Street and you're taking 470, I just, as you're, I just thought, well, there's, a, uh, there's another lane. You know, there's a lane. And so I saw the guy coming. And I just like, there's a third lane, I'll just go into that. And there wasn't. I'm supposed to yield. Didn't yield. And then he's on my tail for about, you know, I don't know, two, three miles. And it was my fault. I mean, 100% my fault. But have you ever been the honker in that one? You know? And, and you, I mean, and, and I, I, know it's, I know it's funny, but, but we, we just were ready to kill over the slightest things. And I mean, can you imagine the patience and the mercy of God? I mean, it's just mind-blowing. How is he like that? Why is he like that to me, to us? And again, that's not just to know theology, that God is like that. Like it's a systematic category. God is merciful. Yes, God is merciful to me, to you. Jonah is screaming at us, remember this. Remember this, and don't get cold to it. Beloved, we can't get cold to it. We're, we're too guilty to get cold to mercy. And I don't mean that like be self-deprecating about yourself. My, that's not what I mean at all. Just be realistic. If God wasn't merciful, nobody is getting in. Nobody. So let's let this book open us up and teach us about us. Let it teach us about our God and our Savior that we would know his mercy through his son and that we would be on mission with him. That's the book of Jonah. So I, I forgive me if tonight was more academic than normal, but we'll dig into the text here. I think in two weeks, next week will be our patriotic service, but we'll move through this book and allow God to speak to us through it. Let me pray and then I'll come down front. And if you'd um, like to come and pray, if there's anything you need to come and pray about, you need to speak with God. If you need somebody to pray with you, you're welcome to come. But we'll sing that final song and then we'll be done. All right. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us now, Lord, as we think about 
what your word is telling us about you, about your mercy, about your grace, about your love towards us, your faithfulness, your relentless faithfulness to us. Lord, you sent your son who paints a picture of a God who leaves the 99 to go after the one, of a woman who sweeps a house empty practically until she finds a lost coin, of a father who runs to meet a son who deserves to be punished indiscriminately. And so, Lord, may we remember you and what you have done in these next moments, and may we take your mercy and grace with us into the week, not as a chain to make us feel guilty, but as a gift of pure joy and beauty to lift up our souls in hope. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.